If you brought your Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 14, if you're new to the whole Bible thing, Samuel is going to be towards the front. It's actually the ninth book in the Bible, directly after Ruth. We're in part two of just a short three-part series called What's Next? And what we're endeavoring to do in our time together is answer the question, what is next for you on this spirit? journey that we're all on. So if you're a guest with us, my name is Landon. I will be your guide on this tour that we are taking together. Feel free to familiarize yourself with the conveyance that we are in for the next 30 minutes or so of fun that we have together. I'll just ask you to not feed the animals. Keep your eye on your wallet as I have no idea who's sitting next to you. Could be some felons in here. And uh, keep your seatbelt fastened at all times because the Bible can be super impactful. So here we go. First Samuel 14, starting in verse 1. One day Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come, let's go over to where the Philistines outpost is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migran. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod, think bulletproof vest. That's what an ephod kind of is, not as heavy. He was a son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitub, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes, which means slippery. The other was Senna or Thorny. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash, the other to the south toward Geba. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. That seems unnecessary to point that out, but Samuel did. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, as armor bearer said. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. Jonathan said, come on then. We will cross over toward them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. I am no military man, but this does not seem like a good strategy so far. Anytime you start with perhaps and let's let them see us does not seem like a logical operation. Nonetheless, both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. What bold trash talk these Philistines have, right? Did anybody else think of a Kung Fu movie when they read this where the mouths would keep moving? We'll teach you a lesson. (laughs) Like, what? So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. 
Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area about half an acre. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for being here in this moment has nothing to do with how we came in, but God, we're asking that you transform us by the time we leave, do what you would have, um, do what only you can do and speak to our hearts. Give us attentive spirits, help us learn something new. Let us grow. Son, Jesus, it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I don't know how much attention you paid to your junior high science class, but one of the things I remember studying was meteorology. KSN about this time was uh, putting out all these different weather stations, and a lot of the places they would put them were in schools, and my school was one of the ones that uh, got one. And we learned how meteorologists use thermometers and barometers and anemometers and a bunch of other words that end in ometer and speedometer and kilometer. I just made that up, ometer. But they use all of these tools to measure atmospheric conditions, both past and present conditions, in order to make and create an educated guess about what the weather will do in the future. Now, we can certainly argue and wonder about their techniques since 98, uh, uh, 98% of weathermen are 40% right 79% of the time. But the reason I bring up weather and uh, meteorology, the reason I bring this to your attention is because a lot of people view their lives like meteorologists view the weather. It's all about the conditions. And we got to get the conditions right. Yet, what I think the passage is teaching us this morning, and what I want you to jot down, is that spiritual longevity depends on decisions, not conditions. Spiritual longevity, like who we become depends on the decisions that we make, not the conditions of our life. Think about it in your own life, though. How often do you assess and uh, base your life on your conditions? When somebody asks how you are, uh, your answer is based on the conditions, right? How you doing? Oh, pretty good. You know, shouldn't complain. I'm overworked and underpaid, but if I had a tail, I'd wag it. You know, uh, it's based on conditions, Except one of the things I think the text is trying to convey, it's not about the conditions. It's about the decisions you make in the midst of your conditions. So let's diagnose our scene in 1 Samuel 14. We're roughly 360 years from when Moses rescued the Israelites out of slavery. Uh, As you can see, Saul has become king. As you can probably guess, Saul is not a very good king. However, he was handsome and very tall. And as you can see, standing before you, two rather important qualities in a leader. Am I right? Uh, Nonetheless. Going back to uh, when Moses was leading the people to the promised land, you might recall Moses died before he was allowed into the land. So it's actually Joshua who takes the people in. This is a big deal because it's actually fulfilling a promise that God had made to Abraham hundreds of years before where God said to Abraham, I'm going to give your descendants who are more numerous than the stars in the sky, I'm going to give to them some land. 
problem is, of course, the land God is giving to them is inhabited by wicked, sinful people, people who worshipped false gods and committed heinous atrocities in the eyes of God, things like child sacrifice and sex trafficking. So God tells Joshua to wipe them all out. Long story short, they do not. And ultimately, leaves the people of Israel to also begin worshiping these false gods. And because of that, they have years of hardship and are subjugated to these evil tribes of people who, again, shouldn't have even been in the land to begin with. But in 1 Samuel, we've found ourselves in one of the battles where these descendants of Israel are fighting for freedom. Now, we read how in verse 1, the Philistines have created an outpost in a tactically advantageous position. They're on the top of a hill. We see Saul cowering underneath a pomegranate tree, trying to decide on what it is that he wants to do. We'll talk more about that in a second. But what I want to do first is look at the decisions that are made by Jonathan and his young armor bearer specifically. Because it's my contention that these are the same decisions that you need to make on your journey. Why? Because spiritual longevity depends on decisions, not conditions. So what's next for you? It might be to make the decision to pray. Jot that down. Decision one in spiritual longevity, the spiritual longevity quest, it is about prayer. Looking at verses 9 and 10, we see one of the very first decisions that Jonathan makes is to pray. Except I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, how did Jonathan pray? Because starting in verse 8, we read, Jonathan says, come on then, we'll cross over to them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait, we'll come down to you, we'll stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we're going to climb up, because that will be our sign from the Lord that he has given them into our hands. This is not traditionally how we think of prayer. We think of prayer as talking to God. God is great. God is good. Now I lay me down to sleep. That is prayer, Right. And if we're not talking to God, prayer is at minimum God talking to us. And the only people who talk in this text are Jonathan, his young armor bearer, and some Philistines. God doesn't say a word. So I hear what you're saying, Pastor. Prayer, yes and amen. Totally get that. But this, this is not prayer. This is like saying... God, if I turn on the TV and there happens to be a commercial of a Dodge Ram 2500 black on black, not knowing, you know, exactly knowing what I want, uh, four wheel drive, I'll know if I see this commercial, God, that you want me to buy the new truck. It's hardly a prayer. My favorite one that people like to pray, God, if you'll just open the door that you want me to walk through. If you'll close the door, I'm not supposed to go through. If you'll just give me a sign, you know why that's a dangerous prayer? Because Jonah prayed probably that same prayer. And he showed up at a marina, and there just happened to be a boat sailing in the exact opposite direction of where he was going. And now that's not just coincidental. That has to be God, because there are no sailing schedules. There is no place to buy a ticket online. There's no reserved reservations. So clearly, it was meant to be. Or not. So what's the difference? The difference is Jonathan was so in tune with God and he so knew the promises of God that he also knew what stipulations God would require in order for God to answer his prayers. 
So this was not an ultimatum prayer. This was an understanding of God's covenant prayer. Leviticus 26.7 records this promise from God. You will pursue your enemies, God says, and they will fall by the sword before you. Five of you will chase a hundred. A hundred of you will chase ten thousand. And your enemies will fall by the sword before you. I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful and increase your numbers. And I will keep my covenant with you. In other words... Jonathan is merely trusting God's promise. Same thing Joshua did when Joshua commanded that the sun stand still. This was not a prayer in the traditional sense of praying. Samson, when he prayed to God, when in the temple of Dagon, said, God, just give me one more chance. Elijah, when he's fed by ravens, the list could go on and on because prayer isn't just talking to God. It's also being so in tune with God, you can move forward on His promises without Him speaking. I'll say it this way. Praying without a promise is presumptuous. Praying with a promise is preparation. It's trust. It's faith. It's a big deal because you should never rush into something spiritually unprepared. Isn't this what we see with Jesus? Right before he is crucified on the cross, what is he doing? Preparing through praying. I wonder how many decisions do we make without having God's promise attached to it? And how often do we make decisions contrary to God's promise, all the while using prayer as an excuse to make the decision? It's like, well, I prayed about it. God told me I shouldn't tithe anymore. My time is my tithe. And God told me that I don't need to go to small group anymore. It's the only time in the week that my spouse and I have together and we need that time. And maybe God's telling you, if you don't have time for small group, the other parts of your life are kind of jacked up. But God told me to go further into debt. Because I deserve the new car, not the used one. And I think if you can look objectively at your life, you've made a lot of decisions that weren't from God under the auspices of God told me to do it. As I was thinking about this in my own life, it occurred to me how uniquely American some of our prayers have become. Because as I listen to a lot of evangelical leaders around the world, a lot of their language is about blessing and favor and being the best you. But then as I'm reading and diagnosing everything that's going on in the rest of the world, where churches are quite literally happening underground because uh, their government tells them they can't meet, these people are not praying about God blessing their finances. These people are not praying for God to give them a car. They're praying God would do some kind of miracle and allow them to have a Bible written in their own language. I want you to let that sink in. I'll have to be careful about how I talk about this, but a number of weeks ago I was talking with a couple who, while they were dating, they decided one of their dates would be they would smuggle Bibles into China. 
And so uh, don't know how your dating life looked. A little different than what Laura and I's looked. So they uh, sewed Bibles inside of their clothes and got real big baggy clothes. And they uh, took them uh, across the border because there's places in the world where you cannot read the Bible freely. Uh, but I sometimes wonder if God maybe isn't insulted by how small our prayers really are. And the size of your prayers really determines the size of your God. And I don't know about you, but I want to see God answer big prayers, like life-changing prayers, Mm -hmm. like world-altering prayers. With that in mind, there's a lot more to it than just praying about it. Prayer has to lead you to step number two, which is obedience. The decision to obey, even when it's inconvenient. People like to say, well, it's the thought that counts. No, that's a lie, okay? Because imagine coming home to your spouse and just saying, well, hey, I thought about you today. And they're like, oh, really? And you're like, yep. And they're like, what what else? That's it. Just thought about you. Thanks, I guess. That's not creepy at all. In my house, if I came home and told Laura, hey, I thought about buying you a Dr. Pepper today. uh, She said, did you? Uh, Nope. Just got myself this Pepsi. But while I was filling it up, I thought about buying you a Dr. Pepper. You know, and uh, how many of you all know Laura would punch me directly in the face without hesitation on her part? Uh, It's the thought that counts, though. Uh, Listen. Action almost always beats intention. Action almost always beats intention. I have to say almost because Saul took action and Saul had good intentions. But there's a lot more to it than that. You can see there in verse 2, he hid under a pomegranate tree because that's traditionally where God spoke to the judges of the day. And so Saul thought maybe God would speak to me here too. And Saul's intention is good. He wants to hear from God. So he brought in a priest wearing the ephod, which is a jeweled breastplate that in Exodus the priests would use to cast lots and hear from God. The problem is his actions did not line up with God's commands. See, Saul is trying to manufacture results um, from a priest who is rejected by God. The reason it's important for the author to record all those names for us that I can barely pronounce is because uh, we need to establish that this priest was not a godly priest. And the reason Saul is using an ungodly priest is because back in chapter 13, God's priest Samuel had just chastised Saul for not following God's commands the way they were supposed to be followed. And Saul offered a sacrifice himself instead of waiting. Because waiting on God is often the hardest thing to do. But it's not just about obedience It's about our obedience being godly obedience. Jonathan, on the other hand, had godly obedience. He trusted God's promise. He knew what God was asking him to do. And Jonathan's young armor bearer also had godly obedience because he was trusting God's chosen uh, person in this case, Jonathan. Look at verse 7. I'm with you, heart and soul. Maybe on your quest today, God is asking you, who are you being obedient to? 
Certainly we should be obedient to God first. Maybe you need to start there and you need to obey God by coming to him the way he's asked you to through his son, Jesus, because John 14, 6 says, I am the way, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. So you've maybe been trying to get all the conditions in your life right in order to get to God. But God is saying, nope, not about the conditions. It's about the decision to follow my son. You have to make the decision to chase after him and then you get to me. So you pray to God for forgiveness and you become obedient to his son. But one of the other common themes within scripture is that we're supposed to be obedient to other godly people, people God has put into authority roles. Could have shown you this in First Peter 2, Hebrews chapter 13, Ephesians chapter 5. For the sake of time, I'll just show you Titus chapter 3. Paul writes in verse 1, remind people, because we forget this, remind people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. That is to say, being obedient leads to doing what is good. So I'll ask the question again. Who are you being obedient to? Plus, I also like that the Bible makes the distinction twice to denote, so we would make note of, the fact that the armor bearer is young. I can't help but think how much easier it is to be obedient and trust when we're young. Parents of young kids know exactly what I'm talking about. Young kids trust implicitly. I remember being a kid and my dad told me that Santa was sick of cookies and milk. Santa wanted Doritos and beer. And that went on longer than it should have. But uh, why could he say it? Because kids, I should not say stuff like that out loud. Kids trust implicitly. I have to calm down. You guys will not hear anything else I say. Kids trust Maybe some of you have gotten old too soon and you need to wisen up and start to trust. People often grow old too soon and wise too late. Here's the good news. It's a decision. It's a decision you make to be obedient and it has nothing to do with your conditions. And when you're obedient, decision number three, you have to persevere. After we pray, after God Uh, tells us who we need to be obedient to. We need to persevere. Look at verse 13. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his young armor bearer right behind him. Uh, Anybody else think of that scene in Princess Bride where Wesley is climbing up the side of the mountain and and, uh, uh, Inigo Montoya is up there waiting to have the sword fight? I'm the only one. Okay. Uh, I have daughters, all right, so bear with me for a second. But here's why perseverance is such a big decision to make. Remember how Jonathan started the conversation with his armor bearer in verse 6? He said, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. One translation says, maybe God will act. Same thing happens with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they're thrown into the fire, they're commanded to bow down before the king's statue. They say, we're not bowing down. King says, I'm going to throw you in the fire. They said, our God will rescue us. 
even if he doesn't. In other words, even though I'm in an uncertain place, doesn't mean I don't have a certain purpose for being there. Amen, somebody. And God's asking you to make the decision to persevere. You have to persevere through the perhaps. It's called faith. Because maybe God is going to use this one thing that you thought you were supposed to do to get you to the actual thing that He wants you to do. So even if you failed through the first thing, I'm going to persevere. Does anybody else need some encouragement in 2020 to start persevering through some hard things? And I heard they're making a Back to the Future Part 4 where Michael J. Fox accidentally goes back to 2020 and they have to rescue themselves out of that because this has been a train wreck. Uh, Do not set the DeLorean to 2020. But remember uh, Titus saying that we have to be obedient and ready to do good. Well, watch this, Galatians 6, 9. And let us not grow weary of persevering, of doing good, because in due season, if you persevere, you're going to reap a harvest, but you can't give up. See, these decisions are progressive. Pop, prayer, obedience, perseverance. One leads to the next. When you pray and God gives you uh, your objective and you're obedient to it, but you got to persevere through it. Uh, so when prayer is your first response, not your last resort, you're going to hear from God. It's going to lead you to obedience. We're going to act on God's promises, but you're always going to encounter opposition, which requires your perseverance. So typically these decisions build one on top of the other. And I would just ask you this morning to consider Where are you on this sort of continuum? Uh, Maybe your step .05 of I need to pray. And prayer is going to lead to your obedience, which is going to lead to uh, your needing to persevere. But maybe you've heard from God already through prayer. You just haven't obeyed. Uh, You know what God's asking you to do. It's just a really hard thing. So you need to obey, you need to bring some people in, and you need to persevere. Uh, But there's one other thing that I think we learned from Jonathan, that it's not progressive, it's all-encompassing. It's something that you have to do through all of these three different steps. And here's how you can write it down. Sacrifice. So yeah, we pray. Yeah, we have to be obedient. Yeah, we have have to persevere through a trial. But we also have to make the decision to sacrifice. One of the consistent characteristics that you'll see in Jonathan's life that he modeled for us, if you study him throughout the scriptures, is that he makes the decision to sacrifice over and over and over again. Just in our story, he made the decision to sacrifice, not telling his dad and the 600 men who were with him where he was going to go. So he sacrificed his security. He sacrificed his safety. But when you read the rest of 1 Samuel, you'll see that Jonathan also sacrificed his uh, rightful place on the throne because he knew God's real anointed king was David. So he sacrificed his relationship with his dad in order to keep David safe. And Scripture makes it clear that you're going to have to sacrifice in your life every day when you want to follow Jesus. In Luke 9.23, we see Jesus say, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself. What's that word? Take up his cross daily. daily and follow me. 
I'm sorry to be the one that has to remind you of this, but following Jesus is not all leprechauns riding on fluffy unicorns who are dancing on rainbows. Sometimes you have to take up your cross daily in order to follow Jesus. Sometimes you have to die to yourself. And that thing you thought you really wanted is just God's way of getting you to the actual thing you needed. And you have to do it every day on the journey of life. So what do we know? We know that spiritual longevity depends on our decisions, not our conditions. And the first decision that we have to make in order to hear from God is through prayer. And then on this marathon of life, we have to make the decision to obedient, be obedient, not just to God and the call He's placed on our lives, but also to the uh, authorities and leaders that God has put into the world. We need to be obedient to them. And the third crucial decision that we make is to persevere through any of the hardships that are going to happen in this life, and they will happen in this life. And the fourth decision that we have to make, uh, encompassing all of these, is to make the decision to sacrifice. Now, here's what... I need to make sure you hear me say. So I know you're done writing and you're starting to mentally check out a little bit. You're wondering what we're going to have for lunch. But listen to me. God's miracles are often found in these maybe moments. Maybe God will come through. Perhaps God will act on our behalf. So perhaps right now you're in a maybe moment. And these are not geographical obstacles for us like it was for Jonathan. Our impediments are often an internal struggle or a relational struggle. And maybe your spouse is going to leave you. And maybe you won't get that job. And maybe you'll do everything right and still in the end something wrong will happen. And perhaps... Uh, God uh, is asking you to persevere through something to lead you to what is good. What's important is that you make the next right decision. What's important is sometimes, listen to me, sometimes a sucky start is still a start. Sometimes a poor apology is still an apology. Sometimes a small step is still a step. What is God asking you to do today? What decision is he asking you to make today? Perhaps God will move on your behalf. Every head bowed, every eye closed. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power that you have promised to us in the person and work of your Holy Spirit. I'm asking you now to do what you promised to do and send your Holy Spirit in a powerful way to sweep this room. Help it, help Him, your Holy Spirit, to allow us to analyze our life. God, what decision are you asking us to make? What's the next right decision for us? We're in prayer together right now God speak to each heart maybe the next step is obedience maybe the next step is perseverance God is trying to tell you right now hey you're you're doing the right thing keep at it maybe you need to start with a different prayer something big is happening and you're wondering where God's trying to take you you're in that maybe moment 
where you're confused, God, speak to us. What is it? What decision do we need to make? How can we follow you more closely? God, these decisions are often difficult, and I know that one of your favorite ways to work are through other people. Help us speak life into each other. Help us give wise counsel when asked. Help each person to find that place in life where they can trust you implicitly. Some of us have grown old and we're having a hard time trusting. Give us that young spirit back. We want to run to you, hear from you, encourage us, strengthen us, make us new. God, forgive our shortcomings. Forgive us for we've fallen short. Forgive us where we haven't trusted you. Encourage us, strengthen us for the week that we have ahead. Help each person to make their next right decision. And may we reap a harvest when your time is right. We thank you. We love you. We praise you. We ask all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. We will.